Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Let me introduce yet another amazing creative woman with a hell of a resume. Molly Carr is a professional violist, chamber musician, artistic director, and educator. Molly, who has a bachelor's and master's from Juilliard, made her New York solo debut with the Juilliard Orchestra at Lincoln Center and has subsequently performed around the world. In 2008, she was a top prize winner in the Primrose International Viola Competition. Two years later, won the Juilliard Viola Concerto Competition and continues to be the recipient of numerous awards and honors. Molly is also a member of the Solera Quartet and one half of the Car Petrova duo, and she's also on the Juilliard faculty. Last but so not least, Molly is the founder and director of Project Music Heals Us. Created in 2014, this nonprofit provides free live musical performances at hospitals, nursing homes, prisons, homeless shelters, refugee camps. In that first year, Music Heals Us presented 100 free concerts featuring musicians from the Chamber Music Society of Lincoln Center, the Juilliard School, the Manhattan School of Music, the Curtis Institute of Music, the Perlman Music Program. So let's meet and get to know Molly Carr. Welcome and thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. Molly, what goes through your head when you hear all this? Uh, It just sounds like a lot of names and um, a lot of schools and but uh, does it overwhelm you if you talk to any musician they always tell you it's not enough so seriously oh yeah actually my very first teacher um when i was about six years old starting on violin actually um one of the first things that she told me is now as you're starting this you're entering a music world where there's always going to be someone that is younger and better than you. So just stick to what you want. Mm-hmm. And if you love it, then you'll have a great time and you'll have a great life with this. So, Well, I mean, that's certainly a, an adage for all of life. I mean, there's always going to be somebody slightly better and younger and of course, whatever. Yeah. But w- let me take you up on that when you were six years old. So music has always been a part of your life from Pretty early much. childhood on? Yep. I was actually homeschooled for most of my life. Where? Um, where did you grow up? Reno, Nevada. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh-huh. I was a cowgirl, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, my mom actually um, homeschooled both my sister and myself, and she wanted us both to be well-rounded humans. And so um, there was someone who had moved into town, um, into Reno, and was starting a homeschool orchestra. And so my mom said, well, pick an instrument. And I said drums. And she said, no way. And so my next instrument then was the violin. And about five years later, so my, you started at six? I start, you I started picked it up at six? six. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I practiced because my mom told me to. It wasn't the most amazing thing for me. But then my teacher, same teacher that gave me the, the advice about, uh, you know, stick with it if you love it. Uh, yeah. So I was about 11 years old and um, she wanted to start a chamber ensemble, um, which requires violas. And so um, she had three of us gather and draw straws. and Three I, violinists? Three violinists. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I drew the short straw. So I was handed a viola and I never looked back. What's the difference between the two instruments, even though that seems like such a ridiculous question, but for those uh-huh. of us who may not know technically how one is different than the other 
the viola is actually a little bit, I always say it's bigger and better mm. than the violin. Mm-hmm. Um, they both have four strings, but um, the violin has a higher string. So it's kind of like the violin is the soprano. Right, yes. And the, the viola is the alto, alto. or tenor. Mm-hmm. So it can it kind of spans between the violin and cello. I, I can you go. know, I was honestly going to say that. So you got the short straw, and did it make a difference to you? Oh my gosh, yeah. I actually started to get in trouble with my teacher because I was learning all of my violin repertoire on my viola and not practicing violin anymore. And so she said, okay, it looks like we need to do this switch. And yeah, by 12, I knew Your this match, was my a match life. was made. Yeah, uh-huh. it, was, it was like I found my voice and it was, yeah. So it was in a sense happenstance because neither one of your parents were musicians. It was just your mom heard... I mean, somebody could yeah. have started a soccer camp, for all you know, and your yeah, mom could absolutely. have said, you're yeah. going you know, yeah. to learn soccer. Yep. Did you like being homeschooled? Parts of it. <laughs> but actually, in my, my freshman year of high school, I went to a private school. By then, I already knew that I wanted to be a violist for life. Um, and they didn't give quite enough time for me to practice. I was doing a lot of traveling at that point, doing national competitions and things like this, and, and it just it didn't work um, to, to be in a normal or private school. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I made the choice actually to come back home and be homeschooled again so that I could travel and compete and do all of these things. Um, but then right around the age that I was just a little brat and so my, my mom kicked me out of homeschool and so the last <laughs> the last two years of high school I, I just took courses at the University of Nevada. So you sort kind of, of flipped yeah, back, like and flip forth. back and forth. Yeah but I would say I owe so much to to my mom and her teaching and I definitely would not be where I am now without being homeschooled. Isn't so I'm that really, interesting? I'm, I'm grateful. Uh, yeah. So you pick up the viola at 11. Mm-hmm. And then you referenced being 12 and, you know, entering competitions. How did that happen? I mean, clearly you had the talent, but that seems, I mean, only a year after picking up the instrument. Is that unusual? I don't think so. I think, um, so I teach in the Juilliard School's pre-college division, so that's um, up to age 18. Mm -hmm. So I teach um, some kids that are as young as like nine, eight Mm -hmm. or nine, and then take them all the way up through 18. And so I would say probably around age 12, 13 is where that decision, you can tell um, it's made whether or not they're going into music or elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think, yeah, I think... The, that my decision was made at 12 kind of fits with very That it's not that unusual, in I, other words. I guess, yeah, if you're really intense. And I would say looking at sports, it's, Good it's point. a bit the same. Yeah, Right. Just like in athletics, you have to have the talent. It's not just simply making the commitment. If you're not that good, what's the point? You know, And so clearly true, you yeah. knew that by virtue also of the fact of entering competitions and I assume winning some of them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did help that I won my fir- first competition at 12. And, you yeah, know, hello. As a little kid that like, oh, wow, okay, maybe I can do this. And so that set you on the path to go to Juilliard? Was that just an obvious given? Actually, I started my first two years of college at the Manhattan School of Music, Ah, um, studying mm -hmm. under Pinka Zuckerman. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. That actually, yeah, in some ways, like all all the way from 12 until until now has been a a bit of a this doorway to that doorway to that doorway, Mm -hmm. you know, just kind Mm -hmm. of dominoes. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think the doing competitions um, when I was young, 
opened doors. And then I met people, made contacts, um, and then so-and-so knew so-and-so, which then got me into the, the Perlman music program when I auditioned. Um, it's a program that happens in New York. Mm-hmm. And so then I would travel to New York quite a bit. A lot of those students were involved in Juilliard pre-college. I got introduced to Juilliard um, faculty and, and students. Yeah. And like I said, it just from there, um, just it made off. sense to, yeah, it just, I when I applied to schools, I applied uh, to Manhattan School of Music, to Juilliard, and to Curtis. And I made my choice for Manhattan School. And what was, was that like for you, even though you had traveled around a, in terms of um, competing? But what was that like for you to move from Nevada to New York? Oh, my gosh. And did you do it that was, all by yourself? My parents did move me. Mm-hmm. But when they left me in the dorms, I was a little Shell terrified. Shell huh? Yeah. Um, I think the moment that I realized just how much of a change it was was Actually, or culture came, shock, yeah, right? Um, was actually when I came back to visit Nevada mm-hmm. for the first time, and I realized that my shoulders had basically been up next <laughs> to my ears for like six months. Yeah, I <laughs> and I just that. felt like this like physical release, and oh, there's mountains, there's no skyscrapers, I can see, I can breathe. So, uh-huh. Yeah. So you graduate from both programs. While you're in school, though, are you playing in orchestras? Well, I was playing in the Juilliard Orchestra. They require you to play Do in that. Do that, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, my focus was much more in chamber music. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, yes, I was doing a lot of recitals and, and concerts um, wherever, wherever I could. Where, mm-hmm. Wherever they wanted to hear me, I wanted to go play. <laughs> and then when you graduated, did you get, quote, hired for a particular orchestra? I never really auditioned for orchestras. Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit of a, a weird one in, oh, in the okay. career mm-hmm. field. Um, a lot of um, a lot of people when they graduate, um, they do immediately start auditioning for orchestras. But um, my teacher in Juilliard was actually very very kind and very wise, Heidi Castleman, and she set me up um, already before I, I left Juilliard to be teaching in the Juilliard School. Oh, interesting. Um, uh-huh. And and made sure also that I, I had a website set up, that I had like a very clear, like if anyone wanted to hire me as a as a An independent kind of contractor, exactly, so to speak. Yeah, uh-huh. so she, she um, made everything like, you're not leaving here until you do this. And, and I thought, you know, I was thought it was such a pain at the time. But then... <laughs> Why she did was, she recommend that? Was being in an orchestra going to be too restrictive in her view? I don't think so. I think it was just my my desires and my focus and mm-hmm. my direction was much more in chamber music at that time. I think like it I think also I did sub in a couple orchestras here and there over the past like 8 10 years. It's hard. Uh-huh. <laughs> in uh-huh. some ways it's like uh-huh. it's like chamber music on steroids that your your ears have to be on like 30 more instruments and to be to do uh, really high level right. orchestra playing and not where you're just like hiding in your section but you're really contributing to the whole ensemble is really a skill. And so yeah, I'm I'd be interested in sharpening that skill at some point. Um I think right now it's just a lot of things in my life have pushed me in an opposite direction. But it's interesting, as you're talking about being a chamber musician, Mm -hmm. that there's a a much greater intimacy, obviously. And I guess for you, that was much more your comfort zone. 
Yeah, I enjoy being the only one on my voice. Okay. <laughs> that uh-huh. if I decide to inflect the voice slightly differently, then I can like push my partner over a little like this or I can pull him back like this and I'm listening for when he's doing that or she's she's choosing this phrase or you know pushing me in this direction so it's um is it improvisational a little bit oh very much yeah Ah, okay I didn't know that oh that's so interesting so as I said in the introduction that you're a member of the Solara Quartet and that you're also part of this Car Petrova duo and so does that mean that in those roles you perform all over the place and that it made perfect sense for you to start your own website, meaning that that's how that kind of came together? Yes. I actually, in starting the Solera Quartet, um, I actually joined another quartet that had a different name at the time. It was the Giswaldo Quartet, but we all decided it sounded a lot like, yeah. where's Waldo? Yeah, so really, Solera so is a lot went for more attractive. Yeah. yeah, but that was actually an ensemble that was already um, in residence at the University of Notre Dame. Oh. And so Andrew Jantz, my, the cellist of that group of the Solera Quartet, um, I actually went to school with my freshman year of college, And um, he was in a a famous professional quartet at that time already. So he was what we call dating already. So we didn't we didn't really connect then. But then when I graduated from school, I knew that I wanted to be in a string quartet. It was like from the time I was 12, I knew string quartet, string quartet. So that was sort of what you aspired to. And that would have been enough for you on some level, right? Yeah, in some ways. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but yeah, so then I graduated and then somehow reconnected with Andrew, um, the cellist, and he had quit the other quartet at that time, and so he was available. So then um, we made a pact to start a quartet. So you had 50% of it. We had, fi- And it seemed, you know, violinists are like, you know, billions of violinists out there. It should be that, you mm-hmm. know, it would be an easy thing to find two violinists that match and fit because, you know, we're the harder part. You know, it's not so many cellos and violas, but wow. Two, I think two years later, we still hadn't find, wow. found a good match. Yeah. And um, so we'd finally given up hope for a quartet. And um, lo and behold, about a month later, I got a call from Andrew and said, hey, um, do you want to come join this quartet? Yeah, I've actually been playing them with them like, off and on the past couple of years. And I, I went, you were cheating on me? <laughs> <laughs> but I said, yeah, sure, let's give it a try. And, and it worked. The four of you live in all different places. Yeah. But you're still very much an active quartet, correct? We are, yeah. Uh-huh. So we, we have to plan about a year and a half in advance. We've decided that it's not a full-time ensemble so that we each have room to have our own other projects. Right. And so that means for us that we have to plan literally a year and a half to two years in advance. But you also marry that with the Car Petrova duo. Yes. So you're, you're pretty busy... Broad, right? It's been a busy past couple of years, yes. Obviously, it requires a tremendous amount of traveling. Yeah, how yes. do you guys practice? Yeah, we travel. We we uh, meet all together. Miki has a nice big um, living room. Miki is one of the violinists in my string quartet. Um, mm-hmm. She lives in Boston, so mm-hmm. we trek up there and rehearse in her living room and live in her house for a whole week. Or Miki and Trisha, the, the two violinists in the quartet, will meet in New York City and we'll rehearse back and forth between Andrew and my places or we travel out to the University of Notre Dame and rehearse there for a mm-hmm. while and And where do you perform? 
We perform all over. Actually, we're performing in Carnegie Hall this season. Oh, well, that's nothing um, to sneeze at. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we're excited about it. We performed in the French Embassy a couple months ago. We are scheduled to have a European tour next year. And actually, a lot of our work has also been done in prisons through this nonprofit that I started. Which we're going to definitely talk about. So you have an agent, I have to assume, right? No. You do this? I do this. Yeah, I do That's this crazy. by myself. That is crazy. You're, yeah, the chief cook and bottle washer here. Yeah, I am. Wow. And do you also perform with other musical groups, for the lack of a better way to describe that? Yeah, uh-huh. I do. I actually... Um, went to the Marlboro Music Festival and um, this year had the chance to go on tour with them. So that was like a two or three week tour around the East Coast. Also, again, the nonprofit Project Music Heals Us that I started um, has a number of different groups that I bring out that are all different instrumentation mm-hmm. um, to take into hospitals and nursing homes and mm-hmm. prisons. All right, let's go to this Music Heals Us um, okay. because it's really quite an undertaking. How was this born and why? Okay, so about five years ago. Which um, would make it 2013. 2013. It was November 2013. Mm-hmm. I was on tour in Israel doing a seven-concert tour And before the first concert, I broke a glass bowl into my left hand, shattering it with little tiny shards into exactly the spot that I needed to play my viola in my second finger. Okay. Um, So I, of course, all the tough Israelis told me that I just had to, you know, tough it up. Suck it up. Yeah, go go and play the concerts anyway. And I was like, guys, there's there's glass in my finger. Guys, they're like, no, 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 it's just, you're, you know, it's just a cut. It's fine. I ended up playing the concert somehow with glass in the finger and then returned home and discovered that there was indeed glass in my finger when I went to the surgeon. Um, there was a lot of glass in my finger and he had to open it up. And through a number of surgeries, I suddenly found myself in a place where I wasn't sure if I could play again. Uh-huh. I had a big gaping wound and they couldn't find all the glass. Like I, I could feel it. I knew it was there, but well, that's they couldn't big. find it. It was mm-hmm. like a, this ghost um, mm-hmm. glass. And so because um, you were still in a lot of pain. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was like, um, yeah, it was pretty painful. So I then suddenly um, discovered myself in a position where I, I couldn't play the viola. I mean, I couldn't put one of my fingers down on my instrument. So I was, you know, trying to figure out well, maybe I can refinger things, but I mean, you can, yeah. So I waited for about three months to um, see if we could get it out, went back for multiple surgeries, and then just ended up not playing during that time. And so during that time, I then moved out to Connecticut to um, care for my grandparents um, because they just needed a little help. And while I was there, I decided maybe I should try my hand at nursing. You mean you're going to switch careers? Well, I mean, if I lost a finger, then, I mean, it's either relearn how to play the instrument or maybe learn a different career. So I decided to sign up for a nursing aid course with the American Red Cross. And so during that course, um, there was a residency in a nursing home in Hamden, Connecticut. And we had the chance um, to care hands-on for the patients in that nursing home. And I was assigned to one patient who was a late-stage Alzheimer's patient. And when I was assigned to her, um, I was warned 
by my teacher that she was really tough. And what you're going to have to do is get in and get out. She hasn't talked in years um, because she's at the stage where her whole body has forgotten it's not just her brain. So she was at the stage of Alzheimer's um, that her whole body had forgotten um, how to function. And so she spent all their days in a, a curled up position. And so when I went in to, to care for her, um, I was very prepared to just, you know, be tough and get the job done. Um, but I very quickly realized that this was not going to happen. And so I sat down with her and I held her hand for, it couldn't have been more than a minute or a minute and a half. And lo and behold, this person who hadn't talked in years turns her head, looks at me and says, are you from New York? Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Uh-huh. And, and I, you know, yeah, really? blah, 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 uh, <laughs> um, yes, I am. And then she also said, are you with the American Red Cross? So also this shows that she's there. She knows what's going on. She saw people coming in from the American Red Cross working with her, but no one had given her a chance to do anything except scream. Wow. And so um, she then went on, do you have a boyfriend? And all these, you know. So you're having a conversation. Yes, with this person that hasn't talked in years. And so I obviously grew very attached to her. Mm. She didn't scream at all Mm -hmm. when I got her ready. And... Yeah, and then every every day for the rest of the residency, when I would um, cross her path, even if I wasn't assigned to her, she would talk to me. Wow. And, and only so, you? And only me, wow. yeah. Yeah, so I just fell in love with her. And on the last day of the residency, I um, saved a bit more time for her, and I went and held her hand again and told her my secret that... Um, I had this alter ego of a violist that once upon a time performed all over the world and, and um, taught in in New York. And um, if I could play again, that I would come back and play for her and I would bring my friends to come back and play for her. And so on the way home, um, I called my mom and said, hey, mom, I want to start a chamber music series and I want it to be called Project Music Heals Us. And five months later... We were playing um, in her room, um, and we watched as she started started out with everything completely frozen up, her eyes closed, you know, shut so tightly, and, and her mouth and a frown like this. And then as we, we played a Mozart viola quintet for her, we watched his one eye boing, mm-hmm. open, the other eye boing, mm-hmm. opened, mm-hmm. and then the face started relaxed, and by the end... Her whole face was just open, her Isn't mouth was open, wonderful? her shoulders were down, and she was just like soaking it all in. And that was the very first concert. Um, we now are about to start our fifth season. Um, we're now officially a nonprofit, and um, we played well over 100 concerts. But let me interrupt for a minute, because yes. at, the, at the same time that that had an incredible impact on this woman, you were back playing the viola. I was, yes. I mean, so <laughs> the stars were aligned on several levels here. You were inspired by this interaction, and then you just went home and thought, I can do this, I'm gonna do this meeting, I'm going to pick up this instrument again, and I'm gonna play. I mean, it did take a couple months. Mm -hmm. After that experience, I would say it was probably another two months before my finger was in a position that I could put it down on the string. I did have to relearn how to to play in a way that had to figure out to change my hand position so that there's still something in there. There's always, Uh I've been told in 50 years, it'll work its way out. Oh, how nice. Okay, Um, something to look forward to. Yeah. Yeah. In the end, 
it's kind of the hand position that my teachers were trying to tell me to do the whole time. So it all, right, all well, worked out to, for the best. Okay, yeah, you had to come to it on your own. <laughs> so that's really amazing that the two of you, you and this other woman, were just so connected on more than just one level here. You each helped the other. So you start this nonprofit. How did it morph into more than just a nursing home, and I don't mean just, to perform other places. So we did start out in nursing homes and hospitals and hospices, Mm -hmm. and we did that throughout the whole first season. And at the end, well, actually, during that whole first season, I you know, had all of these creative juices flowing and thinking, you know, these sparks going in my brain that like, oh, well, you know, I really at some point want to get into prisons. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually mm-hmm. had a, a good friend who was sentenced to um, almost d- a decade in prison. And so I had a lot of time, um, I think, that a lot of people don't um, experience um, to go in into the prison system. And visit. And visit, yeah. And so um, feeling that and feeling sort of the coldness behind concrete walls, mm. I thought... I want to get in there. I want to get in there. Somehow I need to do this. And so it took me a long time. It took me a lot of phone calls, a lot of convincing, um, knocking, yeah, knocking on doors, um, paperwork, you know, talking to people that, you know, I felt like a little, a little ant, a little pipsqueak talking to these big <laughs> tough guys. But yeah, yeah, suddenly I called the right person and then about six doors went boom, 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 open. And then I found myself with a concert set up in maximum security prison no, in Connecticut. In no Connecticut. kidding. Yeah. No kidding. The f- so, your first experience was a maximum security jail. Medium to maximum. Okay. Yeah. Well, all right. Sort of like how pregnant are you? What difference does it make? <laughs> and how were you received by the inmates? Oh, my goodness. Okay. So we went in, obviously, with our knees knocking, having no idea what the heck we were doing there. Oh, my gosh. How did we set this up? Mm-hmm. Like, this could have could be the dumbest thing we've ever done. And... Um, so we went in very, um, very anxious, and we decided to start the concert in the way that we like to start all of our Project Music Heals Us concerts, which is introducing, talking, do a, doing a mm-hmm. lot of talking about ourselves, our instruments, mm-hmm. um, like why we love the music that we're playing. Um, and actually, the, the program that we brought for that very first concert was a late Beethoven string quartet, Opus 135. I mean, anyone... Even a very educated audience has a bit of a tough time listening to such, you know, elite cultured mm-hmm, music mm-hmm. that it sometimes it's hard to digest. And so we were a little bit worried about how that would go over with an audience that maybe has never experienced classical music before. Right. So um, the way that we introduced it was actually telling about Beethoven and telling about um, his life and his struggles and um his um, his choice to always overcome and his choice to choose. I mean, he really, at a certain point in his life, had to choose life over giving up. Um, I, I mean, there were so many terrible things that happened to him that, and that so many actually related to the audience. This population, yeah. 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 Well, you had a, a men's prison or a women's prison? A men's prison. Okay, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we brought in Beethoven Opus 135 and Bach Chaconne, mm-hmm. um, and which is also an epically huge piece. Told again, told about Bach, his life, his struggles, all of this. Beethoven, his life, his struggles, and it was the most amazing experience. You could feel like wow. at the start of it, no one really knew what was happening. Everyone was kind of like slouched in their yeah, chairs. We yeah. were like, you know, very uptight. Like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? How many men and were fifty? 
Oh, that's a lot. Okay. Yeah, and so the start was a little scary. Within probably five minutes, you could feel that the room started just shift forward, lean, leaning forward in their chairs. Oh, my God. Um, by like 15 minutes in, we could, I mean, you can, as a performer, you can always feel the energy of the mm -hmm. room. And this was, we'd never felt anything like this before. It was like like hunger eating up this this music mm -hmm. and this beauty in the room also in our concert we always our concerts we always want to make sure to save a lot of time for response time mm -hmm. before we play the last selection we always ask them if they have any comments or questions or suggestions or anything for us and so their comments were things like wow i've never heard something like this before i know that i'm never going to be a musician but you've just showed me that you and Beethoven and Bach and Brahms and all these people, they all feel the same things that I'm feeling. And so I need to find a creative way, a crea creative outlet, outlet yeah. for, for what I'm feeling and in a positive way. So thank you. I'm, I'm going to search for that. I'm going to find that. Oh, We're yeah. like, blah, yeah. you know, jaws on the floor. Like, what just happened? In that first concert, we played a, a slow movement that goes on a very long time. Oh, again, it's, it's very hard to digest a lot of times. Um, so we tried to prepare them and, and told them, feel free to close your eyes and and just soak in whatever you want to soak in if you like you can imagine things you like the beauty of music is that there's no rules you know beauty of music without words specifically mm -hmm. there's no rules you can you can just enjoy in your own way so when we told them this of course we didn't think like oh well you don't close your eyes in prison <laughs> yeah <laughs> right? right and so right. yeah and so we just didn't think about that until after the concert one of the guys came up to us and said yeah, you, you know, when you said that, I was a little bit worried that, you know, you don't close your eyes in prison. But I looked over at, you know, my arch enemy over here and he was closing his eyes. And I looked at my buddy on the left and he was closing his eyes. And so I could safely close my eyes for the first time in prison. Holy we were God. like, whoa. And from there, we played dozens and dozens of concerts now in prisons in Connecticut, New York. Um, now we're going into Pennsylvania this year. Um, California also we, we've done a number this and it's is just extraordinary. I mean every single concert I mean sometimes they start out a little rougher but by the end it's always it's always positive it's always this amazing connection and so yeah we've been really inspired by this and it's in a lot of ways it's actually it's changed how we feel about music and, and the power of our art. And it's, that you can learn as much as, as your audience can. Absolutely, as, yeah. And then you move into refugee camps. I mean, yes. that's pretty extraordinary also. This is an, our newest project. It's through actually my, my other ensemble. Um, so most of the prison work um, that we do is through the Solera Quartet. Andrew, Mickey, and Tricia, the other members, are just in, incredibly talented and, and brilliant minds and perfect for um, designing a prison outreach program. <laughs> and so now with this new refugee aid project, um, we're calling it Novel Voices. It's being designed and implemented by the Car Petrova duo, my other big ensemble. And so it actually started in January. I was in Texas rehearsing with um, with my dual partner, and we were 
thinking about what our next project wanted to be. Um, that we were, we were thinking, well, we, we want it to be socially minded. Um, we want to do something that, that has an impact, but what should it be? What should it be? And right about that time, I actually am taking Hebrew lessons. And I and my Hebrew teacher, I, I take it over Skype. And so she, she said, oh, I'm really sorry. I have to leave about five minutes early today because I have to take my refugee adopted boy to school. And I was like, come again? Mm-hmm. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and And... Yeah, and I'm actually embarrassed to say, like, I it was the first time I was thinking, like, wait a second, refugees in America? I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's it's embarrassing. But, um, but then I, as I started thinking more about this, I asked Anna and said, like, do you know about what's going on with refugees in America? Do we have? Do you know what, like, where are the refugee communities? Are they near us? Like, mm-hmm. are they around New York? Are they in California? Like, what's going on in America? I mean, you always hear about it. In Europe, thinking in America, you know, what's going on? So it turned out that every one of my friends that I asked about the situation, they also didn't know anything. And so I then was like, Anna, my dual partner, I said, Anna, our project needs to be about refugees. And so we designed, it was literally within... 24 hours of like not sleeping just like yeah. it was like one of yeah. these like creative uh-huh. like crazy moments <clears throat> like yes and we're gonna do this and we're gonna do this and this and this and just like boom we had this project within 24 hours so the the project is that we are gonna take and we are in the midst of this now we just had our first visit to Denmark um, to our first refugee camp so over this coming year we're going to spend the year traveling to Denmark programs around New York and New Jersey, programs in LA, Bulgaria, and the Middle East. And so we're going to be um, traveling to all these places, playing in refugee camps and programs. And um, we're gonna, it's going to be viola and piano, or when they don't have a piano, it'll be a keyboard, viola and keyboard. And we are going to bring with us a, um, a composer and a filmmaker. And so and you want to document this. Yes, we want to document it because we feel that in some ways if you if you go in and you perform a concert and you get to know people and you learn about their stories and um, you you tell their stories, like even even blogging or writing about things in today's day and age is not as effective as like you see a person, you get to know them right. and you in a way you meet them virtually. And so we have our composer that comes in um, and our last program in Denmark that we just did. We worked together with the kids in um, the Danish Red Cross School. And we worked for two days toward um, composing a piece all together that we um, we tried to get rhythms and tunes from their homelands and build build this piece all together that we, in the end of the two days, could perform together. Wow. So we did that for um, two days, had, the, had our filmmaker documenting it. And during that whole time, we also had our filmmaker select um, a number of the students and pull them aside and interview them and and, um, just learn about them and get them on tape, get them on camera, so that when we come back to um, our normal lives and our our computers and our internet and everything, that we can just blast it everywhere and sort of... Educate and expose, right? Yes, Mm -hmm. yeah, that you realize that Bethnam that I met that's from Afghanistan, he's a really cute kid, and he's in a really tough circumstance, and he's not just 
a refugee. His Just name isn't refugee. Mm-hmm. His mm-hmm. name is Bechna. Yes, yes. And he loves to play the piano, but he is never going to be able to learn how to play the piano unless he gets help. Things like this um, that we want to just, because we're musicians, because we are performers, we have an opportunity to be in the public eye. And so if we can bring into the public eye their stories, and also the stories of the organizations that are doing amazing work already. Like you are. Well, thank you. Yeah, then we we can maybe then, even if it's just one click for a donation or one person volunteering or this, then maybe we can have made a difference or someone else, you know, developing a different project like this. You know, we've run out of time. There's so much to talk about. But boy, oh boy, you are extraordinary. All the things you have given birth to. It's just so wonderful. Some of them were happenstance. Some of them were certainly calculated. But you you set the bar so high. I would have to think that you must go to bed at night feeling really great about all the things that you're doing and what you're exposing people to it's it's just I was going to say extraordinary again it's just wonderful it's wonderful thank you I mean clearly and I said this with certain women I've interviewed the world needs so many more Molly cars you are Mm -hmm. and you make it seem so simple I know it isn't you know and it's a lot of hard work when you must step back and look and just say holy cow and if you don't you should Oh, well, thank you. I want to know if we can end the show with some some music. I have one of the pieces that our inmates that we worked with composed. Oh, um, no kidding, you, that you're playing? Um, that the quartet is playing. Okay. We, can we end our show with that? Does it have a name? He just called it Minuet and F. Minuet and F. Yeah. So Molly Carr and her three fellow musicians are going to help us end this wonderful conversation with a selection by an inmate from what prison? From the Danbury Federal Correctional Facility. Okay, and the piece is Minuet. Molly, thank you so much for sharing your story. It is really, really exciting and inspirational. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's been a joy talking to you. It has been my pleasure. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.